welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Yolanda M. Gordon. Yolanda is from Fort Mill, South Carolina. She is the mother of three children. Yolanda started her advocacy journey in disability advocacy after her younger children received an autism diagnosis. She learned how to advocate for her children's educational needs. She also assisted parents in understanding the nuances of the federal education laws and how they intersected with state education laws. She has since worked to end poverty and how families experience safety net programs in the United States. Yolanda is a former safety net program recipient. She currently works at Results Educational Fund as the Manager of Expansion and Advocacy. Her role includes being the coordinator for the Results Organizing and Advocacy Fellowship, which teaches young leaders ages 20 to 35 how to speak to their members of Congress about ending poverty, making tax credits permanent, investment in global education, global nutrition, and affordable housing. She is also a leader with her work on anti-oppression, intersectionality, and poverty, and its effects on individuals and families. She has used her experience to lobby congressional leaders of South Carolina on the needs of families in the state to ensure that their voices are heard. With over 400 phone calls, 30 pieces of media, and over 80-plus lobby visits, Yolanda has become proficient in helping others advocate for themselves to make the greatest impact. Yolanda is a moth-trained storyteller, a TEDx speaker, and has spoken at many conferences and led many trainings from Missouri State University, Congressional Hunger Center, George Washington University Hunger-Free Communities Conference, and the Aspen Institute. Hi, Yolanda. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, so, first of all, thank you for coming on. And uh, I have a lot of questions from, you know, your work that you're doing um, and your life. So let's get started. Um, so, okay. I re- so I read that you're from Edgemore, South Carolina. Um, yes. What was it like for you growing up in South Carolina? Um, so my family um, has 36 acres of land. And I grew up with probably the largest playground ever. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> yeah, it was rural. Um, the people around me were family members, aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, and pretty much, I, I think for me as a kid, I was rather isolated. Mm-hmm. I was also um, maybe one of a couple kids with in, in my age range. Um, so I was a reader. Like, you know, I was a bookworm. Mm-hmm. I read anything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I decided to spend my time that way. Um, mm. I don't, I used to begrudge the way that I was raised. Really? Um, How so? I, I, yeah. Because I felt like I was so isolated from my friends. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have a very good social life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't allowed to do certain things. My mom was a Baptist minister. So we were always in the church. Um, uh, and, and I used to, you know, feel like I missed out on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But the older I get, I realize I missed out on nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Most of the people that I was friends with mm-hmm. in school we're, we're not close friends now. So it wasn't, oh, okay. 
like, you know, these are, are people that are, are going to be, you know, lifelong friends. Right. Um, but I do, you know, have several friends that I wasn't friends with in high school that I'm really close to. Um, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons. You mm -hmm. know, I, I learned to be self-sufficient. I mm. learned to entertain myself. I learned to be comfortable with being alone. Right. And that's not something that most people learn at a young age. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. So, yeah, so that that's, I, I used to begrudge it. Now I look back on it and um, realize that it, it was the best childhood anyone could have had mm -hmm. um and all the experiences that i was able to just get from being out in the open out in, in nature being told to go outside and stay outside and just explore mm -hmm. i don't think very many people um get those opportunities yeah and uh, so are you still close with your family your extended family that you grew up with I mean, that must have been yes. cool, like getting like, to, I mean, with all of your get togethers. So would you say yes. there are like 20 or 30 of you <laughs> at any given time? Oh, God, no. There, <laughs> there, are, there are lots of us. I, I can't even count. Um, <laughs> That's great. And, yeah. So it's, it's, I think my mom's generation um, was a lot different because everyone enjoyed getting together. Mm -hmm. But my generation, we're just kind of, I don't want to say floaters, but we just kind of float around. Mm -hmm. We get together when we have to get together, but it's not like um, every week we're like, oh, my God, I have to go and talk to, you know, mm -hmm. my family. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I'm really close to um, my sister, my uncle, mm -hmm. um, some of my cousins. But for the most part, I, I focus on my kids and, mm -hmm. and you know, just I'm a homebody. I, I like being in my own house. Mm -hmm. So, um that's pretty much what I do. Okay. Okay. So, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, you have children. You have three children. And, and yes. I read that two of your children were diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Now, how did that diagnosis shape you or impact you as a mom? Um, my younger two kids were diagnosed at two and three. Mm. Um, and... My son was more severe than my daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, well, she was she was a handful just with the speed of how she thought, still thinks mm -hmm. to this day. Mm -hmm. But um, I really tell my children often that they saved me. Huh. I don't think that I would be the person I am today if it weren't for them. Mm -hmm. um, because I was just kind of floating around in my 20s trying to figure out who I was as uh -huh. a person. Uh -huh. um, I didn't really have a clear direction. I was not um, devoted or tied down to one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, my, my children really saved me. They saved me in a lot of ways. Because mm. uh, I, I could have made some really really bad choices yeah and because i was able to focus on them and their um development and focus on what their needs right i i feel like i started to find myself um and not just being a mom but more of finding a voice that i didn't have before yeah. um because i was very um late teens 20s i was very shy and reserved i wouldn't say too much mm -hmm. to anyone mm -hmm. um and 
you know, having them and going through a lot of processes, mm-hmm. um, I, I had to, you know, become their advocate and, yeah. and speak up for them. So I had to learn mm-hmm. and um, push, you know, for the things that they needed at the same time. Wow. And yeah, I, I can't even imagine, you know, I guess in a way you, you had to be the adult, you had to, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, geez, you, you're taking care of these two little beings and, well, they, they need yeah. stuff and you need to, like, make sure they get it, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, okay, so you are the manager of expansion and advocacy at Results International. Can you tell yeah. me what Results International is and what does your role entail? So we are an international nonprofit um, which I say international, meaning we have um, Results UK, Results Australia, mm-hmm. Results Canada, um, and we have a lot of action partners that work around the world. Mm-hmm. So we are not just Results US, we have other partners that we work with that, that share the results name and the results mission. Um, we are a nonprofit that believes that um, poverty can be ended, and it hasn't been ended thus far due to lack of will, mm. um, political will. Mm-hmm. So we work on anti-poverty programs or anti-poverty campaigns that will make life better for citizens across the world. We work on global and domestic campaigns, mm-hmm. and um, we bring in advocates that really believe in ending poverty. Um what my job entails is I run the results fellowship. So I am responsible for the fellowship for young adults, 20 to 35. Mm-hmm. I just changed it to 35 last year. Um, and I train them to be organizers and great advocates, especially those that have no experience. They're coming into this. They've never experienced anything like it before. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tell them I'm the conductor. I give them the skills training and they get the advocacy training and um, get to talk to other volunteers and get to participate in everything that results has to offer Mm -hmm. um, to make them stronger advocates. Okay. And um, so far, I have fellows from 49 states wow. or alumni from 49 states. That's so, incredible. Huh. Yes. That's so Yeah, cool. this is one of the, the Dakotas. But um, it is rewarding because I'm watching um, leaders mm-hmm. grow right before my eyes and mm-hmm. watching them those that, you know, I'm, I'm really shy that turn into the people that are most vocal at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really rewarding. And also it results, I work on our anti-oppression work. Mm-hmm. Um, I work on, um, our anti-oppression work because we do believe that we cannot end poverty as long as oppression exists. Uh-huh. So right now I'm in the background doing a lot of moving pieces to help us get, um, further along in our planning, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that when we, um, finish our strategic plan, which we're working on right now, and we roll out um, the program that will be solely our anti-oppression work, Mm -hmm. Um, we will be ready and we'll have all the things that we need to um, make it successful. 
And how long do these programs run usually? Like for the, the age range that you're talking about for training? So the cases. fellowship is 11 months. Okay. Um, we start in January. We end in November. Okay. Um, so that I can have a break in December. Mm -hmm. um, and while the fellowship is going on, I'm mm -hmm. recruiting for the next class. Wow. So, um, so I have, huh. yeah, I have a, a sitting class. I recruit for a class and my other um, work streams. Wow. So um, I have to be really organized. I have to keep my calendar updated yeah. and make sure that everything that I everything that I do, uh -huh. there's a plan for it. Okay. Um, if I find that I have too much going on a particular day, mm -hmm. I will cut something out of my day to make sure that I get all of my stuff, all the things I need to get done that day done. Mm. So it takes a lot of planning. And I'm also very um, rigid. I believe in structure. I believe in um, making sure that everything goes the way it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. um, maybe sometimes I'm too rigid because <laughs> I like perfection, but mm -hmm. um, it works for me. Um, I am in a very supported, very, um, I would say just a very supported and um, inclusive work environment. Okay. Um, and I've never had that before. So wow. it, it is by far the most supportive work environment I've ever worked in. Well, so how did you get involved with results? How did that even start for you? So I um, became a, well, first it's in 2010, I was nominated as mom Congress's uh, mom from South Carolina, which was the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And I returned to the mom Congress conference, I think in 2012 mm -hmm. and shot at life was there ah, and uh -huh. they were talking about global vaccines. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I believe mm -hmm. in vaccines. So mm -hmm. I'll start volunteering for them. Mm -hmm. um, and at one point um, in 2012, they were like, I want to send you to this conference <laughs> with several of our other moms. Uh -huh. It's a results conference. I'm like, what is that? I had no clue what it was. Uh -huh. um, but then once I got to the conference and I started hearing the work that they worked on, mm -hmm. um, on the domestic side that really at the time were things that affected my family, mm -hmm. I basically said, okay, I'm here right now for global, but when I go back home, I need to switch over to domestic because there's a lot of work going on over there that affects my family and I need to be in the mix of that mm -hmm. and that's how i got started with the result okay 10 years ago wow <laughs> it's been exactly 10 years yeah that's amazing oh my gosh and the programs or what drew you to um switch from global to domestic i mean you were saying you know things that were affecting you and your family um yeah. can you tell so, me a little bit more about that Yes. So it was the earned income tax credit, the child tax credit, things that I relied on to help take care of my kids throughout the year because I worked part time mm -hmm. while they were in school and doing therapies. And I was, of course, going to college mm -hmm. here and there in between um, and SNAP benefits. Uh, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program was very um, crucial to us being able to have a balanced diet to be able to eat. Mm -hmm. um, and those were some of the things that at the time were at threat of being cut mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, I just, I felt I needed to do something. Um, and so I, um, that was, you know, I had already met my senators and my representative, but that was when I really got to meet them Mm -hmm. and go in and tell them my story and explain to them the importance of these programs. And, um, I haven't looked back since. Mm, Um, that's great. it, it, yeah. And I still go in and and tell them the same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. what you're trying to, um, diminish, Mm -hmm. it really could mean life or death for a family. So, um, it's, it's been very rewarding work. That's awesome. And was there an aha moment for you when you said, okay, this is why I'm doing this? I'm sorry, what did you say? I I said, um, so was there an aha moment for you when you said to yourself, this is why I want to do this? Yeah, I, I think I knew why I wanted to do it, but I didn't feel like I was in the right home. Hmm. I didn't feel like I had the right advocacy home until I found results. Ah, um, okay. Because everything that I had connected with had been global uh-huh. or it had been based on um, special education or it had been based on um, autism therapies or state level policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just never felt right. Mm. And it wasn't until I got to results. So I was like, okay, this is the place that I, I should be in. I should have been a very long time ago. Okay. Um, so it, it, you know, it was, uh, the aha of, yes, I can do a lot on really on the global and domestic side, but my heart is really on domestic to make sure that, um, families like mine are taken care of, that mm. there are no cuts to any programs. Okay. Um, so that was kind of like the, I, I've been, I, it was like, I've, I've been training for this. Ah. I've been training to talk to these offices about this. Right. Um, and I, I didn't even know I had been training. Huh. Um, That's awesome. So it was, yeah, it was, I knew it was the right place. And I, I've been here ever since okay. I've been involved with results ever since. So do you think that we are experiencing poverty at an alarming rate currently? And, and has the rate of poverty increased since the pandemic? So I think um, we have always experienced poverty in one form or another. I mm-hmm. think now, mm-hmm. based on you know what I read and what I see in the media, middle-class families used to be better supported in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And then you had the working poor. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we have more middle-class families that could be classified as the working poor Mm -hmm. because wages have stagnated. They haven't gone anywhere for a very long time. Um, And now that we have a housing crisis, we don't have a lot of affordable housing. Um, Now that we have you know, people that have had to pivot because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and they've gone into other work because, you know, I love working in a restaurant, but that's not going to pay my bills if I can't get any hours. Like right. recognizing those very key things. Mm-hmm. I think that we have, um, we have a lot that needs to be done, especially for families that have two working adults in the house and the family is still homeless. Like that should not be a thing here in the United States. Yeah. 
Um, right. Flint is still waiting on Clint, Flint, Michigan is still waiting on clean water. Oh like that gosh. is not something that should happen in the United States. Like we, we tout ourselves as one of the richest countries in the world. Mm. But yeah. when yeah. you look at it since the pandemic, mm-hmm. we've had COVID and all of its strains. We now yeah. have monkeypox, and now we found polio in mm-hmm. New York. I know so it's, it's crazy. Like, wow. Yes. So it's like, you know, I want to believe that we are one of the richest countries in the world. But the reality is that the people that need the assistance are the ones that are not getting it. Right. And rich people are getting richer. Yeah. So at some point, we have to tip the scale and realize that what we're doing right now is not working. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that are being affected by it. But why do you think it's so difficult to tackle this issue? Not just you know, not just poverty, but, you know, everything else that goes along with it. Because, one, our our government is so divided. Mm. I will say Congress is so divided at this point. And it's not because the division is because of things that are actually not good for our country. Mm-hmm. It's just because of where we are politically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Political discourse is at a all-time negative Mm -hmm. so you know if you're talking about politics and you're talking about something that can help people modern um i will say our citizens are like but you want to take something from me instead of thinking about the fact that if you help your neighbor Mm -hmm. you're getting help yourself yes like it's not taking anything away from you right um so republicans have very good talking points Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they convince people that if you give to this person, you're taking it away from me. Yeah. Um, and then mm-hmm. at the same time, we are at a point where companies are not being encouraged to increase wages. Mm. They're not being encouraged to pay people a living wage. Um, yeah. Minimum wage has not gone up. You know, so we're looking at all of these things and looking at, you know, just the impact that it has on a family. Mm -hmm. If you are if you are a single working mom working minimum wage, 40 hours a week, Mm -hmm. you cannot afford a two bedroom modest apartment in any any state in our country. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the reality of what people are living with. But instead of us focusing on um the big picture things mm-hmm. we're arguing about the fundamental things that should not be an argument yeah. like those battles were fought years ago these things are in place like let's focus on how we can um provide stronger health care mm-hmm. like our health care system is at the brink of collapse i yeah. actually left health care to mm. start working at results wow. um huh. i feel like if we have another massive covid wave yeah healthcare won't survive mm-hmm. you know I, I just feel like our hospitals will will not be able to survive yeah um we are just living in a time that we i think as americans we all need to take a step back mm-hmm. and evaluate yeah what's important to us we all want the same things yeah we're all on the same bus we just get off at different stops yeah. and i think too that's one of the the things that I keep telling um, friends about who the president is, who my senator is. Mm-hmm. It's like these people, you're not marrying them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're just, you want to know who's going to drive the bus. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
and you want that person to drive the bus in a straight line and mm-hmm. to have the same ideals that you have. And I think a lot of people get so worked up into who the president is mm-hmm. and what the president does. And I'm like, it's not about that. Let's right. talk about who's in Congress mm-hmm. and what they do. And if they are passing bills that need to be passed, if they are talking about the things that need to happen, if they're talking about how can we increase the affordable housing stock. And I don't think that when we're talking about politics, most people talk about those things. Mm-hmm. They just want to talk about, well, your president did. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, my senator did. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it, we are all Americans. They are all of our senators. They, mm-hmm. This is our president. And we need to look deeper to figure out what we can do to turn the, to turn the bus around. Because yeah. right now we're headed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I feel like we keep getting sidetracked with the circus instead of looking at what direction we're headed in. And I think by the time people realize that Mm -hmm. it'll be too too late late. and yeah. yeah, And the bus will have crashed Mm -hmm. and there's no way to get anything back to the way that it was. Wow. Oh, okay. Um, So you gave a Ted talk titled the poverty Mm -hmm. pandemic. Why did you want to talk about, this issue and and so in that video um i learned that you when you did this i mean you know back in 2012 i heard that you were you were broke divorced had three children in elementary school and you decided to go you were still in you you went to college anyway and worked two three jobs to make to make ends meet um so the second question is what kept you going Um, I really, well, first the name of the, the Ted talk Mm -hmm. was, I think was pretty brilliant for me, but it was more looking at the fact that most people were focusing on COVID Mm -hmm. being the pandemic Mm -hmm. and what it was doing to the economy. Right. And not realizing that was, there's always been a pandemic when it comes to the economy and poverty. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, the only thing that really kept me going was that I wanted to prove to my children that no matter your circumstances, you can still do something. Mm-hmm. You can still go to school. You can still get an education. You can still, you know, volunteer. Mm-hmm. You can still do the things that, you know, are, are good for our nation and our world without thinking that if I take my eyes away from this one day. Mm-hmm. I can't do all of these other things. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to prove to them that no matter what the circumstances were, you could still be a success. You could still do things um, and achieve great things. So that. that was that was kind of what kept me going. I mean, there were a lot of times that I really wanted to quit. Mm-hmm. But then every time I would sit down with my kids and uh-huh. they were doing homework and I was doing homework, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm sending a very powerful message yes. that this is what is important. Right. And, um, it just, you know, kept me going. That's awesome. Um, wow. And even, no matter how hard it got, it still kept me going. So yeah. um, that's really cool. I mean, know, that's, just, you're, yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. So uh, there was this quote from your TED Talk that I loved, which was, as you, uh, it says, as I walked through those halls, hearing my footsteps echo back, I was going into those rooms, shaking out all of the cobwebs, telling all of my truth. 
How was that experience different from the other times you went to those politicians' offices? Because at at that time, I wasn't talking about myself. Mm. Speaking about global poverty, Mm -hmm. global initiatives, global vaccines, those things didn't touch me personally. Mm -hmm. They didn't have anything to do with me and and who I was as a person. Mm. I just wanted to be a good person. Um, But having to go in mm-hmm. and say, I am SNAP beneficiary and I'm here to tell you this is the importance of SNAP and why mm. was yeah. a lot tougher than going in to talk about children dying of global vaccine. Okay, that um, makes sense, yes. So, yeah, I had to get over a lot of guilt because I expected to be so much further mm-hmm. in life Mm-hmm. And I had to get over the shame of knowing that I relied on government benefits to feed my children. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And once I was able to shake all of that off mm-hmm. um, and not, you know, feel like I'm going into a senator's office to talk about poverty and I feel like an imposter mm-hmm. um, because I'm not putting myself into the story. Right. Um, I, I realized the only way to make an impact to be memorable is to talk about myself and my experiences and what I had been through. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, so what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about people who are living in poverty? One of the biggest misconceptions about people who are living in poverty is that they want to stay in poverty. Mm. That is one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, The other misconception is that people are just deciding to sit at home and they're just getting big checks mm-hmm. and they're just living at home mm-hmm. and, and not wanting to work. And the reality is so opposite. Mm-hmm. Majority of people that get SNAP benefits are people who qualify for SNAP benefits because their employment does not pay them enough to survive. Uh-huh. So yeah looking at the dynamic and looking at the cost of food now and the cost of gas and Mm -hmm. all the things that, you know, are, are so expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it really takes a toll on, um, having conversations with people that didn't, that don't realize that I've been in those positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, at some points I get tired of, of repeating it to people, but for years I had friends that didn't even know that the way I fed my children was through SNAP benefits. Mm-hmm. And they would say very negative things about SNAP benefits and government assistance. Um, mm-hmm. and I would have to, you know, eventually I was like, uh, I get SNAP benefits. Right. And they're like, I couldn't tell. That's right. You can't tell. Right. You don't know who gets SNAP benefits. Right. So, yeah. um, huh. you know, it was different, you yeah. know, for me to finally, you know, speak my truth and step out and say, you don't know what people look like that get SNAP benefits. All mm-hmm. you know is the picture you've been shown in a movie. Right. Yeah. And, and but and, yeah. people that get SNAP benefits, they're ringing up your groceries. They're making your coffee. They're making your bed at a hotel. Like mm-hmm. these are real people mm-hmm. and they're driving your kids school bus yeah. and having to have those conversations um some of my friends were like i had no idea mm. and some of my friends during the great recession they came to me to find out how do i apply for snap benefits because i've never had to mm. 
And so, you know, having, you know, the, the being able to be humble and to speak the truth and then to be able to say, if you think differently about me now, then, you know, mm-hmm. we can just move on, you know, right. And, right. and, you know, you can go your way and I can go mine. Right. Um, mm. It's, it's, America has a very skewed perspective mm-hmm. about poverty. Yep. And who lives in poverty. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And how people in poverty should behave. Mm. And it's like, you know, I'm one of those people that, well, if you feel this way about people in poverty, then you as a middle class person, this is what I expect of you. This is how I expect you to behave. This mm. is what I am looking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being the mirror for some people and they get it, but others, they really don't mm-hmm. um, yeah. until they're placed in those positions. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I have another quote that I loved uh, that you said, um, which is, advocacy is not everybody's bold solution, but it is the solution. Uh, do, do you think that advocacy is just the starting point of how we should tackle issues that need to be addressed? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I often hear from offices on Capitol Hill, it's like, we haven't heard from anybody back at home that said that this is important. Mm. And I'm like, the, the reality is that is probably true. Uh-huh. Yeah. To some extent. Right. Um, but that's where advocates can come in at and tell people, write your senator, write your representative, yeah. call them, use right. the Capitol switchboard, mm-hmm. get through to their offices, go to their local office, yeah. like have those conversations. Right. Um, because it is important because I think as, as social media you know, began and we got so comfortable being behind the screen, Mm -hmm. that interaction with people, um, Mm, it just kind of withered away. Right. But it's still like you have a a computer or a cell phone in your hand, send an email to tell them why this is important Mm -hmm. and then tell your friend to send an email and then tell that friend to tell a friend. Um, and, and keep doing that until, you know, you reach as many people as possible. It doesn't take a large group of people to make a ripple. Right. It just takes one person starting it mm. and then reaching out to someone else. And I think that's why I feel like advocacy is always part of the solution mm-hmm. to many of our problems. Yeah. Um, because not enough people speak up right. or they think that nobody's going to listen to me mm-hmm. or they think that, you know, what difference is it going to make? Right. And it's like, it is going to make a difference. Yeah. Like you may not see it now, right. but it will make a difference. Right. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. So can you mention a time when you thought you needed to do something that could affect your life and others? I feel like every day. Huh. Okay. Every day I, I speak up or speak out about something. Mm-hmm. I am, um, I never thought I would be the person I am now where, mm-hmm. you know, I am always quick with the comment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quick witted. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always on top of things. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids are like, you know, shouldn't say that. I'm like, well, that person shouldn't have been talking to me. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a mm-hmm. very um, easy 
thing to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But it's harder to be vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do know that, um, you know, like, for example, my son graduated from high school this year. And uh-huh. I told the school, I said, I know you guys were celebrating. And they're like, no, actually, we're going to miss him and miss you, you know, because oh. you pushed us to do better. That's awesome. Um, so I feel like, yeah, every day I do something that could really go left yeah. fast. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, I just brace myself for whatever the response is. Well, um, so where so where does that come from, you think? I mean, did you, uh, you know, when you had your TED Talk, were you already doing public speaking? Did you like public speaking? Were you always, you know, did you always want to be involved um, and be definitely be more vocal when it comes to issues? Did you get that growing up or did, just, did that just evolve? No. <laughs> no, I, I didn't get that growing up. It evolved. Um, okay. I hate public speaking, actually. <laughs> really? Um, okay. But before my TED Talk, I had been doing public speaking pretty regularly. Okay. Um, and I didn't get that growing up. Mm. Um, I was raised to be seen and not heard. Ah, so that okay. was the way that I kind of saw the world. Mm-hmm. That, no, I'm, I'm to be seen. I'm not to be heard. Hmm. Um, which is basically telling a kid you have no opinion right yeah and i think that's a dangerous um way to raise kids Mm -hmm. because telling your kid now to be seen and not heard means that your kid might not come to you and tell you something that's very important yeah um and i know i was that kid you know that wouldn't go to my mom and tell her something that's very important Mm -hmm. um but i raised my kids totally different Mm. um i raised my kids to speak out to be bold yeah to not be afraid you know, your mm-hmm. thoughts are your thoughts. Someone need to change your thoughts because they think their thoughts are better. Right. You know, right. um, I, I make sure that my kids are advocates for themselves mm-hmm. and advocates for others. Right. Um, and, and I want them to be that person because I wasn't that person. I wasn't mm-hmm. raised to be that person. Um, and, you know, that person didn't appear really until my mid 20s. Mm-hmm. Um I, I found my voice, mm-hmm. you know, in my mid twenties, but I think I found my sense of humor when my ex-husband and I separated. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, kind of a, a, a backwards trajectory. Uh-huh. Um, but I hate public speaking. <laughs> I, I, I do despise it. Um, you could, it, you it can't tell me, though. You couldn't tell. I yeah, mean, I loved your yeah. TED talk. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people say that. I'm like, you have no idea what's going through my mind <laughs> when I'm doing public speaking. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah, I, I, over the years, have evolved into it's something that I do well, but mm-hmm. I still don't like doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, cooking. Mm-hmm. I do it well. I still don't like doing it. <laughs> doing laundry. I do that well. I still don't like doing it. Yep. So, yeah. But it has to be done. Right. Um, so right. it's. Um, and, and I do train other people to mm-hmm. be public speakers. Right. You know, so it's like maybe one day I won't have to be a public speaker. Mm. You could do it. So, um, <laughs> Pass the baton. Yeah, I, okay. absolutely, because yeah. it's not it's not fun at all. Okay. So, um, so is there someone you would credit for where you are now? I would say I would have to credit my mom. Hmm. Um, when my kids were younger, I couldn't afford daycare to mm-hmm. work. 
Mm-hmm. Like my mom um, took care of my kids so I could work. Wow. Um, and then, you know, I, I would have to credit my grandma as well mm-hmm. because she was a very quiet lady, a very petite lady. Mm-hmm. But when she had something to say, mm-hmm. you heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a kid, she could just look at me and shut me down in a heartbeat. Wow. It would just take one look. And um, hmm. it was, you know, going up, you know, around her mm-hmm. and, you know, this is a woman that was born in 1921. She worked in cotton fields, you know, wow. she washed other people's laundry on her hands. Uh-huh. Um, like, I think I get a lot of my stubbornness from her. Mm-hmm. Um but I think, you know, having my mom really support um, me and my kids mm-hmm. so that I could provide, you know, a life for them, provide yeah. um, for them, period, mm-hmm. um, was huge. Because if not, I, I really don't know where I would be right now right. without her, her assistance. Wow. Okay. So, Yolanda, with the work that you're doing at, at Results, um, do you have any other goals or is there something you haven't yet tried that you would like to do? I I think at this point in time in my life, I'm I'm pretty set. Um, mm-hmm. I figure I'm 42. My kids are like 22, 18, and 16. Mm-hmm. They are um, they are doing their own things. They're, they're becoming their own humans. And it's kind of like, now I can relax. Mm. I think that, you know, I think I've been on, um, 100 mm-hmm. for the longest. It's like, now I can dial it back a little bit Okay. and just watch them be, you know, be the adults that I, I hope I raised them to be. Mm. What about? But what? I would still like, to, I would still like to win the lottery. That was still the goal. <laughs> That would be awesome. Okay. Um, what about, what are your goals for the community you're involved in for, with results? I think for me, it's, it's cultivating young leaders um, around the country mm-hmm. so that they can shake things up mm-hmm. so that hopefully one day they'll run for office mm-hmm. or they'll, they will, you know, make some form of impact Mm -hmm. um, that they will feel comfortable just speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I hope that, you know, as time goes on, you know, they take the torch from those of us that that are exhausted, Mm -hmm. that they're they're gonna take that torch from us and they're gonna be able to carry it forward. So um, I think that's that's my primary goal. I focus on the young adults because I see the fire that they have and I see the potential that they have. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's so much that they can do oh, yeah. that, um, you know, it really excites me, mm-hmm. um, especially this younger generation that they're already organizing and they're already advocates before oh, yeah. they even turn 18. Yeah. So just watching you know, all of this happen mm-hmm. is like, I, I cannot wait for them to be able to vote, wow. you know, cause mm-hmm. I know that they are going to make humongous waves. Mm-hmm. 
So speaking of young people, um, so if anyone wanted to get involved or find out more about results, especially young people, how would they go about it? So they could go to um, www.results.org. And that is our webpage, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. And um, if they go, they will see a picture of me waving at some point in time. Um, but at the top, there is um, a tab that says volunteer. Mm -hmm. And they can click that tab and sign up to volunteer. And once they do that, someone from our expansion team will get in touch with them mm -hmm. and we'll get them process. Okay. If it's someone that they don't have time to mm -hmm. volunteer, but they still want to do something next to our volunteer button is also the donate button. Mm. So no matter how small mm -hmm. they can donate five bucks, mm -hmm. but they can still donate to kind of help us um, move forward and, and to just work with Congress to make sure that we make changes um, that are necessary changes. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to young people who are interested in volunteering or getting involved with results? I would say that once you come in, you will not want to leave. Hmm. Even if it, you get too busy, you'll still, you know, take actions on the side. But once you meet this the other advocates and volunteers mm -hmm. you will want to be involved because it's it's like a family mm. you know after a while you start to feel like you are a family mm -hmm. and this is um the work that that we should all be doing mm -hmm. um we we all need to do something at some point to to pay our rent for being on this earth and i think advocacy is the best way to do it I love that. So is there anything you would like to say to the listeners? Um, I would like to say don't be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to step outside of the box. Mm -hmm. um, magical things happen when you do that. Hmm. Um, and always, always be a good human being, especially to someone that you know cannot do anything for you. Hmm. Um, just be a good human being to those people to those individuals. I love that. So if you had one thing to change that you wish had done years ago, what would it be? I don't know. I, I would say probably started traveling a lot earlier. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't like really get comfortable with travel. Um, until my 30s mm -hmm. so I, I probably would have you know traveled earlier okay. um other than that i you know a lot of of my life choices you know i have my kids mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i um make great friends i've experienced a lot of things that most people wouldn't get to experience so mm -hmm. um but my one thing is traveling I, I haven't traveled a lot um, okay. because I've been taking care of kids. Right. So yeah. um, I think that would be the one thing mm. that I would change. Okay. It's just hopping on a plane and going places just because. That's awesome. 
And the last question is, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, wow. What advice would I give my younger self? Uh, start investing in the stock market at 18. Hmm. Um, start your retirement at 21. Huh. Um, when you get your paycheck, if you can, save half, mm-hmm. spend half. And um, work us on focus on building your wealth, hmm. so that you know when you get to retirement age, you can just relax yeah. and not have to, you know, wonder how all of your your bills are going to be paid. Like hmm. take those steps mm-hmm. um, because those are the same things that I tell my kids now. Um, wow. Invest in in the stock market. You know, start retire retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that by the time you're my age, you're you're in a pretty good position. So that's what I would definitely tell my younger self. Now, did you learn these lessons from someone, or is that something that you just thought you you should do for yourself? So I, funny enough, I hate math, but I love economics. <laughs> oh, how that works, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, I have been for years watching economists talk about um, the importance of saving and investing Mm -hmm. and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And now that there are a lot of women Mm -hmm. who are economists or who are just women that have um, done a lot of work and they've like become completely debt free that are giving these same messages. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I wish I had heard this Mm. when I was younger. Right. Um, So I, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't an interest of mine in the beginning, but it's kind of evolved into that interest um, from my thirties till now. Mm-hmm. And um, and I also think because being divorced mm-hmm. um, and raising the kids, mm-hmm. I really was set back. I didn't mm-hmm. have the opportunities to save and do all these other things. So I think um, giving those messages to mm-hmm. especially young women mm-hmm. is is very important so that if they're ever in the position that I was in, right, they won't have to worry about, you know, how they're going to pay for things. Yeah. Um, and, and they'll position. Mm. So yeah, that, that would definitely be the largest reason why I would tell my younger self to stop buying shoes and <laughs> invest in something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, later on, you could be set up for life. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Yolanda. Um, Thank you for coming on and sharing your story and and all the work that you're doing with results. I I, I love the work that you're doing, and I really loved, and, and I learned so much about you and what you're passionate about at with your TED Talk, and it really made an impact on me because I was like, I would never have known what your story was had I not listened to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've met a few times, but I've never really got to know you until you know until then. Um, but thank you for for all the work that you're doing, and I so appreciate that you uh, that you were able to share it with me um, and to the listeners. Um, but please you know continue what you're doing and and for being such a huge advocate for you know for uh, 
for, for basically um, you know, people who really are in need of, of assistance or, or even like someone who can just be on their corner, you know. So I, I, I'm so thankful that you're in that capacity and just being of help to so many. Um, but thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's funny because you were talking about, you know, like when the last part of, of financial freedom, I grew up with my dad basically doing everything because he was, he was an accountant, he was an auditor. So he was in charge of all the bills and everything. So I didn't know, I had no clue when I moved out in my twenties, like what to do, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, um, how do you, how do you balance a checkbook? And so it, it was really eye opening for me. You know, um, my kids actually laugh at me now because uh, I balance my checkbook every night. Uh, if I spend anything, uh -huh. I balance my checkbook. So uh -huh. they're like, "That's so old fashioned." I'm like, <laughs> it may be old fashioned, but I know but it how works. Much money I have. Yep, but it works. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I had like you know, I was like, because I, I, you know, my my dad, my parents were both in finances but none of their kids really got to know anything about it because they took care of everything so by the time we all went out on our own we we're like um we were at, i was at a disadvantage until you know my dad was like oh okay <laughs> i think I, I better like show you what to do with this and it was great yeah. you know and I think that's that's the way that things happen for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, when they're growing up, their parents don't talk about money. Yep. Like they don't hear about money until they have to deal with money. Yes, And for sure. that's the one thing that I didn't want my kids to oh, have yeah. to experience. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted them to know that if you have money, mm -hmm. don't spend all your money, number one. But yeah. make sure you know what you have mm -hmm. so that you're not in a position one day where you you don't have what you need. Mm hmm Oh yeah, we and it's funny because my husband and I are like doing that now. We started with our daughter from like, you know, when she was a lot younger, and like we we said, look, we're not going to do the same things that our parents did, <laughs> you know, and you have to talk about finances because then you you won't be blinded or blindsided if something happens. You you'll be prepared. So that's how we wanted her, our our daughter, to be prepared and and you know to be aware of what she's doing financially and, and how she can really like benefit from it. So it, it, it was like, you know, it was really like, whoa, seeing me in a way because she was like, uh, what, <laughs> what do we do? And so it was, it, it was great though, you know, and it's been really um, great for her and, and um, empowering for her because now she knows, yeah. you know, to, she knows how to take care of herself if need be. Right. right. And I, I would say to any parent, especially parents of, of girls, mm -hmm. teach your kids now to be financially independent. Yep. Don't yep. wait until they're getting ready to leave home yeah. and try to teach them lessons. Like yeah. start very early. Teach mm -hmm. them how to save. Teach mm -hmm. them how to to donate. Teach them how mm -hmm. to spend. Like yeah. don't don't wait until um they're ready to walk out of the door and say, Oh, by the way, yeah. uh, let me tell you how to you know balance a checkbook right. um, i have some friends whose kids didn't get check get checking accounts until they were 18. Mm. so mm -hmm. like you've missed out on a lot of time where you could have taught your kid where as all of three of my kids have had checking accounts since they were 13. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. 
they've had their own debit cards and they right. know how to manage and how to look at how much money they have. Yep. So um, yep. I, I think that that is one of the, the biggest lessons mm-hmm. that parents can teach their kids very early on. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. But, well, thank you for, for that um, and for uh, inspiring so many to just, you know, like, you know, they're there is so much out there that we can all do for one another. Um, yes. And uh, I, I really appreciate, you know, all the work that you're doing and continue to do and for inspiring your kids. Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> it's like it's yeah. it's it's really incredible. Um, but thank you for for coming on. And I uh, hope to like hear more about all the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, if you decide to do I don't know if you want to ever do another TED talk. Um, just please let me know, and I would love to All hear right. it. Okay. Well. All right, thank you. Okay. Have a good day. Okay. You too. Bye. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Yolanda Gordon on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note, I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. 